you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. We'll be uh, continuing our journey through the longest chapter uh, in the Bible. Uh, we'll be uh, reading verses 81 through 88. Uh, we'll be speaking this morning about delighting in the Word in the midnight of the soul. Delighting in the Word in the midnight of the soul. As you turn there, I want to remind you that uh, small groups uh, or connection groups officially start back uh, next Sunday night, uh, our eight-week term, uh, our eight-week spring term. And so I would encourage you uh, that if you're not already a part of a connection group to sign up, uh, there's a sign-up list out uh, in the foyer. Um, and it's just a great way to connect with people, to get to know people, to pray for one another, to let others know what's going on in your life. And so it's a a very, very vital connecting point in our church, and I would encourage you to, to be a part of that, uh, of this spring term. Here's what the psalmist says, starting in verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I've become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I've not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the, test, uh, keep the testimonies of your mouth. I would like for you to, to do something that may not be a lot of fun. I want you to think about the darkest moment of your life. Maybe it was a marriage that was on the brink. Maybe it was the tragic news of a sudden death of a loved one. Maybe it was the consequences of, of some sin that you had committed or that someone had committed against you. Maybe it was long ago. Maybe it's right now. What is that dark moment for you? It appears that in this section we are looking this morning at, at the dark moment of this psalmist's life. He is either writing for the, from this moment or he is reflecting back on this moment. But things had gotten real bad. In fact, Spurgeon nicknamed this section of the psalm as the midnight of the psalm. The midnight of the psalm. Because this is as dark as it's going to get in this psalm. It's actually a pretty positive psalm here on out. But in this moment, things were not going well. So right now, you, you may be wanting to Run to the door. Run for the door because, hey, maybe you're saying, I've had a bad week. I didn't come here to look at the darkness. I came here 
to be encouraged. And this doesn't sound like it's going to be very encouraging. But I would say that, that I find this section particularly encouraging because it's real. Because it's real. It's real life. It shows all of us that can think back to that dark moment or are in a dark moment. It helps us to know that we are not alone. If we were to take Psalm 119 at face value, this psalm, this, the, the writer of this psalm is a man who had it together. He has it together concerning his faith. He's as, he does not strike me as a guy who, who very often misses his quiet time. Seems like a guy who is in love with, the God, with God's Word. And, and, and we see throughout the psalm in every section that he's not just someone who likes to read the Word, but he likes to apply it to his life. In our day, we would be tempted to call him one of those super-Christians one of those Christians that just seems to just have it all together. And yet, and yet, he is capable of having his life become enveloped in darkness. Call it a difficult season, call it grieving, call it depression, call it a string of bad luck, but at the end of the day, it's simply a person hurting because life is hard. Two of us cannot relate to that. This man, despite having it all together, he says in this text that he's almost dead. He's almost been, an end has almost been put to him because of this difficult time. And so this morning we're going to look at, though the midnight of the soul fills us with longing and a sense of dread, it is the steadfast love of the Lord that will sustain us. First thing I want us to notice this morning is that in the midnight of the soul, we are filled with longing. Longing for the Lord's salvation. He says in verse 81, My soul longs for your salvation. I'll never forget the, uh, the night I was hit with pancreatitis. I didn't know what it was at the time. But around bedtime, and increasingly throughout my day and around bedtime, it didn't feel right. Something within me felt wrong. And my wife, being the smart one of the house, says, you need to go to the doctor. We need to go to the ER. And there's two things about me. I'm cheap, and I'm just scared of the hospital. And, and my thinking was, I've gone 39 years without going to the hospital. And I, and I, I had built up this thing in my life that when I, hit, when I go to the hospital, it means I'm old. That's, that was my thinking. That was my not good thinking. I said, I'm not going to the hospital. And so finally I was like, okay, if I still feel like this in the morning, I'll go to the hospital. So we, we called and made plans with my mom. If she doesn't hear from us, just to come on, uh, first thing in the morning, daylight, we're going to head to the hospital. And then things progressively got worse 
as the night went on, just it felt like someone was stabbing me in the back. It was awful. And I remember just at, at 4 a.m., just, just longing for the hospital. I was picturing the hospital, because the hospital has just always been, that's the place where I go to visit the sick people at church. It wasn't for me. But in that moment at 4 a.m., I could visualize it. I wanted to see it. I longed for it. It was for me, I realized. It's not just a building over there. It's for me when I need it, and I needed it. I had no idea a vital organ was shutting, was, was messing up. And I, I got dressed at 4 a.m. I even put my, I laced my shoes because I didn't want, when, when daylight hit and my mom got there, I didn't want to spare a moment. And so I go to the hospital, they diagnose it, they run the test, they diagnose it. I understand, realize the beauty of pain meds. And I found salvation and began to recover. Because it's easy when, when you feel great, when things aren't going well, or I, I mean when things are going really well and you feel fine, hey, that's just a place for sick people. That's not a place for me. But in that moment, in the darkness of the night, when so much pain has gripped you, you realize that is my place. That is a place of salvation. It's easy when life is going fine to forget about the salvation of God. We see the cycle in Scripture and we see the cycle in our life that, that prosperity can often bring spiritual apathy. But when the midnight of the soul comes, well then we realize just how much we need God. We are, when we are attacked or personal tragedy comes, it, it fills our hearts. It fills us with a longing for salvation. But not just any salvation, right? The psalmist says, my soul longs for your salvation. No other salvation will do. I need God's salvation. When the dark night of the soul comes, seek the Lord's salvation. It's the only salvation that will do. Notice what sustains his longing for God's salvation. He says, I hope in your word. Longing without hope is a pitiful thing. To be in a terrible situation, merely longing for a different situation, that's not life-giving at all. The staunchest atheist can be filled with the longing for something better. But longing equipped with the hope of the promises of God, now that's a powerful thing. That is a thing that can sustain us in the midnight of the soul. Until hope becomes a reality. We see here that, that he's longing to see God's promises. Look, it says in verse 82, My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? You see, the, the psalmist, he knows the promises of God. We, we've seen that he, he loves God's Word. He reads God's Word. He loves it. But what he longs for more than anything is to see the promises of God with his own eyes. It's one thing to be an Israelite. 
and to know, hey, I think God loves us. I think God's going to keep his covenant. It's a whole other thing when you watch plague after plague hit, hit Egypt, getting closer and closer to your deliverance and your freedom. It's one thing to, to know that if you hold on a little longer in your marriage that God promises blessing. It's another thing to be on the other side of that and to see a transformed, beautiful marriage that you never thought you could have. It's one thing to, to know that there's a heaven where the battle with sin and grief will be no more. It's going to be a whole nother thing to cast our eyes upon it. It is the hope of laying eyes on the beautiful sunrise that sustains us in the darkness of the night. We long to see the sunrise, right? We see that in the midnight of, uh, of the soul, also that the enemy attacks. So this is the second thing. We see uh, a great, we've seen glimpses uh, in this psalm of just, this guy has, prob- has some enemies that are, that are trying to work him over here. But this is, man, he's really going to lay out how bad they're hurting him. First, I want you to notice in these, in these attacks, starting with verse 83, is that enemies damage with constant pressure. Yet, he has not forgotten God's word. Verse 83, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. What in the world does that mean? Well, a week or two ago, Brother Donnie found some old pictures, some old mission pictures from probably 12-ish years old uh, of me uh, in Nicaragua. And, and Brother Donnie being the great encourager that he is, he said, look at that guy. Look how stress-free he looks. Man, this guy, this guy looks like he has it. What happened to that guy? Thank you, Brother Donnie. That guy's dead. I killed him. My kids killed him, anyway. And uh, I was also reminded a couple weeks ago when we were on vacation, Crystal and I had like some professional pictures made of us. And they were like real close-ups, you know? And, uh, and we go to, to look at them, and Crystal's like, these are wonderful. And I, I look at them, and I'm like, how is it possible that you look better than we were in college? And I, on the other hand, my face looks like a catcher's mitt, an old catcher's mitt. And, and there's just gray everywhere in my face. And my beard. Like, how is that possible? I didn't have much to start with, and it's deteriorated quickly. But the reality is, is that time and pressure has a physical, has physical ramifications. Like it or not. And in biblical times, you would take wineskins and you would, you would put them near the fire to dry out, but if you, if you put them too close to the fire, you left them there too long in the smoke, they would just get black and charred and they would be useless. 
And Jesus himself said in Mark 22 that, that old wineskins are useless. And what the psalmist is saying here is that life had worn him down, not just in his heart and in his spiritual life, but physically. He was like wineskins that had been left in the smoke too long. You could see the wrinkles of the stress. You could see the gray hairs of what these attacks had cost him. Spiritual struggles take a physical toll on us. But though time took its toll on his body, he continued to remember God's word. That's what he says. He says, I, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. This verse reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Some of us may not be much to look at. And if you are, just give it time and you won't be. There's nothing we can do to escape the ravages of time and stress. But thanks be to our God that our spirit, that that, that within us, which, is, which, which, is, which knows God and, and which is eternal and It is being renewed. It is even in the midnight of the soul, maybe even more than ever, if we are relying on God and if we're, uh, we're, if we're trusting God, then we are being renewed even in the stress, even as the wrinkles and the gray hair comes, our spirits are being strengthened, ready for a better day, ready for our glory in heaven. So take that. Run with it. I may not look like much, but on the inside, I'm a teenager because I'm trusting in God. We see also that his enemies are making life hard. He's having to endure, yet he knows God's judgment comes. He asks the question, how long must your servant endure? Life for the psalmist is not a relaxing stroll through the park. It's a a long endurance race. It's a leg-aching slog through a muddy bog. It's not going well. It's not easy. I remember uh, the year our mission team got rained in in backcountry Nicaragua. We were having to push the trucks up hills, muddy hills, and and it was just it was stressful. It was hard. And every time every time we went up the hill, Oscar, how many more? How many more hills? How many more miles? This is so hard. Because in that moment of endurance, you want to always know how much further. If you're running a marathon, you you look at the mile markers. How much longer do I have to go? The psalmist longs for relief. And despite not getting an immediate answer, he rests in the judgment of God. That's what he says. When will you judge those who persecute, persecute me? He knows eventually God will come to his rescue and judge his enemies. The only question, the only question of struggle is when is he going to do it? 
make no mistake, struggling Christian under attack, know that God's judgment comes to rescue you. The only question is when. Hold on. Hold on. Keep trusting God. For His judgment comes. We see here that that enemies set traps to hinder us. Uh, uh, Yet, the enemies are the ones that are actually ensnared, as we see from the psalmist. It says in verse 85, The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. The psalmist feels endangered from his enemies. He struggles and overanalyzes every step he takes. People want to see him fail. Remember back in verse 23, it says this, even though princes set plotting against me. So it's not just some nobody. These are princes. These are powerful people that plan his demise, that dig pits for him. Powerful, scheming people plan his demise. And yet, despite all their traps and despite all their preparation, he realizes that they're the ones that are actually in danger. He says, they do not live according to your law. Though the faithful man of God is surrounded by traps of godless men, it is his footing that is sure. It is the trappers themselves who are caught in lawlessness, who are enemies of the Almighty. Psalm 141.10 says, Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Christian, we indeed walk in a fallen world surrounded by dangers, surrounded by enemies that are setting traps for us. But let us say with Psalmist in 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Fourth, with the enemies and, and how they attack us. Enemies tell lies, yet God's commands are sure. Verse 86, they persecute me with falsehood. Help me. The psalmist feels attacked by the lies of his enemy. Make no mistake, Satan and godless men, their favorite tool to use is lies. The only way you can take on the truth is with falsehood. God could never love you. The cross is not enough to cover your dreadful sins. God doesn't want good for you. He wants to hold you back, which is the sin in the, great, in the garden, and we still buy that one every day. But the psalmist, though he is having a rough time, he refuses to take his footing off the surety of the Word of God. He says in verse 86, all your commandments are sure. He knows his only hope against against the lies of the world is the sure commands of the Word of God. He's not without struggle. It's not easy for him. Notice his short but powerful prayer concerning the falsehoods being told on him. He just says, 
help me. Such a simple prayer. Two words, six letters. Help me. But how often, folks, how often do we buy the lies of our enemies? How often do we buy their lies, and, 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 and especially the lies of Satan, before just saying a simple prayer first of, God, help me. How easily we are deceived, how easily we go our own way before even two-word, six-lettered prayer of help. I believe He will help us. Mark 9, 24, I believe. Help my unbelief. We see in, in the enemies of the psalmist here multiple angles and methods of attack. And each time, the, the, the psalmist hangs his hopes, hangs his affections and and his fight on the Word of God. Was that not what Jesus did? When he was, went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan in ten, and, and three times, he was tempted. Satan came to him with lies, came to him trying to get him to disobey God. And, and what every time Jesus replied, it is written. Folks, we need, in, our, in, the, in the attacks of the enemy, we need, with the psalmist and with our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, we need to fight like they fought and fight back with the Word, with the promises of the Word of God. And we'll be victorious. And thirdly and finally, in the midnight of the soul, we would meet our end were it not for the steadfast love of God. Look what it says in verse 87 and 88. They have almost made an end of me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The psalmist says, they almost made an end of me. They almost did away with him. I want you to notice a couple things. First, they can only end him on the earth. They cannot end him altogether. Folks, our lives on this earth are vulnerable. People can steal our stuff with a well-placed bullet or knife blade, they can wipe out our life on this earth. But folks, our life in heaven, if we have invested ourselves by putting our faith in Christ, and if we have an eternal home in heaven, they cannot take that. That is beyond their reach. It's beyond their touch. And so even if they could, and even if they did put an end to us on the earth, that would not, not be the end of us. That would be just the beginning of us in heaven. But second, while our earthly life is vulnerable, 
is only vulnerable as much as God sees fit. He almost came to an end. Why no further? Because God had not willed it. Uh, I think it was the, the uh, I may be getting this wrong, I know one missionary said it, uh, but I think it was John Patton who was facing all kinds of dangers from cannibals and, and uh, all kinds of troubles. He would say, I am indestructible until God is done with me. I'm indestructible until God is done with me. Do you remember the suffering of Job? You remember the parameters that were given? Satan came and said, hey, let me test Job. And God said, you can test him, you can't touch him. You can do anything you want to around the people around him and, and all in his life, take everything, but you can't touch him. Satan came back because he failed, and despite taking everything Job had had, he still worshiped God. Satan comes back and says, hey, you didn't let me touch him, let me touch him. He said, okay, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. Isn't it interesting to think about that that's how Satan has to operate? Folks, yeah, it, it may at times feel like Satan's leash is way too long. But I'm telling you this morning that that leash is strong and it's unbreakable. And it doesn't go an inch further than our Creator and God wants it to go. The psalmist is, he got right up, he got right up to the point of death, but God spared him because God desired to spare him. What a great promise to know that God is in control of even those who want to kill us. And then we see this in the midnight, in the midnight of this psalm, we see the dawn of the steadfast love of God. So here's a man that has been brought just about as low as you can be brought without death. His enemies have almost been victorious in taking him down. So since he is barely escaping with his life, what, what will rehabilitate him? What will bring him from a death crawl back to a victorious sprint? It's this, verse 88. In your steadfast love, give me life. The psalmist realizes that life comes from the steadfast love of God. It does not rest in the lawlessness of his enemies that have brought him low. Nor does it rest in his own lawfulness. The psalmist, by most measures, seems to be a good servant of God that seeks to obey God. But even that is not his ultimate hope. His hope is, that, is the steadfast, immovable, unchanging love of God. And we know that that has come to us through Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection for us. 
That is our hope in the midnight of the soul. It's not in trying harder or being better. But it is knowing that we are loved by God. Amen. Aren't you glad that it doesn't rest on us, that it rests in the love of God? We also see here that, that rest in God's love sustains the psalmist's obedience. It says in verse 88, In your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Notice his, his, his obedience does not come by simply trying harder. Obedience comes when he has learned to rest in the steadfast love of God. This is what brings him to life, to keep God's word. So often we get that backwards. We think, hey, if, I'm, if I try a little harder, God will love me a little more, and, and, and then life will be better. But no, it's, it's recognizing the already love of God for those of us who have placed our trust in him. Know that he, he steadfastly loves us and nothing we can do can change, can make him love us more or love us less. And when we finally rest in that, that is that moment where we can keep his testimonies. Though the midnight of the soul fills us with longing, though it fills us with a sense of dread, it is the steadfast love of the Lord that will sustain us. Life is hard. We can be the best Christian we can possibly be, but even then, midnight will come. The darkness will descend. Life has ups and it has downs. It has nights and it has days. All the more reason why we must rest in the steadfast love of God and find comfort in the promises of His Word. I ask you to please stand as our musicians come. As you reflect on your life, maybe you're in a dark moment. Maybe you're thankful that you're coming out of a dark moment. Maybe you're just reflecting on the faithfulness of God in the dark moments of your past, or maybe you need to prepare your heart for a dark moment. No matter where you are in the midnight of the soul, they come. The midnight of the soul is always going to be part of our life. Are you trusting in the steadfast love of God and the great promises that He has written in His Word? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for Your faithfulness. that even in the midnight of our soul, in our darkest day, God, you are faithful. You fill our life full of hope. And God, you love us. You give life to our, to our weary souls through your love. Move in our hearts this morning to respond to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.